You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So, in a new year comes new personal goals, right? These are called resolutions, New Year's resolutions, and that's kind of the low-hanging fruit of the first Sunday of the year is to talk about a New Year's resolution, but I'm going to do it. Um, And I want to just say a resolution at this point in the year is simply an idea for most of us, right? And I don't want to knock that. Ideas can be super powerful. A lot of us use the new year to focus on the idea that we call resolution, right? Small or large goals that we hope we would be able to personally achieve by the end of the year. And every resolution starts with an idea, right? An idea of the type of person we want to become. So maybe for you that means a healthy person, a person more in shape, who eats better. Or maybe it's a person who's less pessimistic, less cynical. Maybe a person who's more optimistic and more grateful. Maybe the type of person who spends less and saves more and gives more. Maybe the type of person who rests better who's more present with people, who reads more books, right? All resolutions start with this idea of who we want to become, and it's powerful. Another example of how ideas are powerful, um, in the narrative of the Garden of Eden, right, that most of us are familiar with, the fall of humanity, it's called the fall, occurs when Eve and therefore Adam are tempted by an idea, to have the wisdom of God and the knowledge that God has. So Satan doesn't send in the troops of demons to cause humanity to fall. He just gives them an idea. He suggests a change in identity. You can have more knowledge. So ideas are super powerful. But in the end, without an action, an idea just remains an idea. So we... As people with resolutions, we as people with ideas have to flesh out our ideas. We have to uh, do something about them. We can't just say, I'm going to be more healthy in 2020 and never join a gym or subscribe to some sort of workout plan or buy a really expensive bike. Right? Steps have to be taken. We have to do something. Well, the Gospel of John starts with an idea that has become an action a word that literally has flesh on it. It's been fleshed out. God's very word, his wisdom, right? The Greek word for word there is logos, which means word, yes, but also reason and wisdom and plan. So God's word, God's plan has come to earth in a person, Jesus. And so I think the place to start with the Gospel of John and especially John 1, is why does John start his gospel, his biography of Jesus, this way? Why do these verses establish the foundation on which John will tell about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus? And as I mentioned before we prayed, there are four narrative accounts of Jesus' life, four narrative biographies of Jesus' life, called the Gospels, and they are unbiased biographies. They have an agenda. And we hear the word agenda typically, and we think that's a negative thing, but these don't have a negative agenda. They have a positive agenda to persuade and prove to the world that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, and that he really came and died, that he really rose again so that we could have eternal life, salvation from sin, 
and dwell with him for eternity. So they have an agenda, but it's to save people, not mislead them. To save people by giving them the true message of Jesus, who is God. There's a great podcast that I'd really recommend called The Bible Project, where in a recent episode, they analyzed the intros to all four Gospels. And so, they kind of established that in all of these introductions, the Gospel writers are saying, are kind of showing their cards of what their early agenda is in writing their biographies of Jesus. And they all share um, one common theme, and that's to link Jesus with the God of the Old Testament. Here's how they do it. Mark does it very simply. He just says this, as is written in Isaiah the prophet. So Mark starts out by just saying, this was written that Jesus would come. This was written by the prophets and is being fulfilled now by Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew uses a genealogy showing that Jesus is genetically linked to the historical figures of the Old Testament. He says, Abraham and David and all these other people that you guys know, they are the line of Jesus. So Jesus is linked to them, and not only that, Jesus represents a better, truer form of them. Better Abraham, better David. Matthew hopes to show that Jesus is linked to the Old Testament. And Luke links Jesus to the Old Testament with a grand birth narrative that overtly alludes to Old Testament stories. Stories of infertility and women becoming, moving from barren to giving birth to children in their old age. Angels prophesying and telling shepherds that Jesus is coming, right? All this in order to show how Jesus' birth is intimately linked with the narratives of the Old Testament. And now we have John. So let's read the first portion together. Uh, starting in verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is exploding with depth and intentionality right from the beginning, right? He starts with, in the beginning, which is not a coincidence, because the Bible starts with the words, in the beginning. In Genesis, the Bible starts with this account of God creating all things with his word, with his speech. He's He's speaking and things are springing into life. Light and darkness and the earth and nature and birds and fish and animals and humans. John is going to continue in verse 14 to tell us that this word by which, Jesus, by which God spoke is Jesus. And so already John wants us to link the, the creation of all things with the person of Jesus. Why does he do this? The point is this. Jesus is God, and Jesus was there. Jesus was not created later and sent to earth for a task. No, Jesus is God himself. He is God's speech and wisdom and plan flowing out. Jesus was not only present at the creation event, but he was necessary for the creation event to occur 
right? Without him, nothing would have been made. Through him, all things were made. So all leading up to Christmas, we talked about a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah told the people of Israel that God himself would come and be their light. And here John is saying, Jesus fulfills that promise. Jesus fulfills the promise that God would come dwell with his people and be their light, their truth. So John wants us already from the beginning to know that Jesus is, his, is God's plan. The great idea of salvation is Jesus. And John is saying this idea is incredibly powerful. The idea that God would come in the form of a man named Jesus. But that plan didn't just get sprung. It existed before anything existed. And now John is saying that this idea has, has flesh, has action. The word has become flesh. And not to say that there was an action on God's part before Jesus' birth, but certainly to say this is the climax of God's action in history. The idea of salvation, the plan of salvation is fleshed out by God's incarnation on earth. When he comes to earth in the person of Jesus, that is what John is driving home here in the first few lines of his biography. We read verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus is the word of God and the wisdom of God and the plan of God made flesh. He has always existed because he himself is God. He participated in creation. He was necessary for creation. God spoke and by his word creation springs forth And when creation springs forth, man and God have unity. But as I mentioned before, this unity doesn't last long because at the fall of man, when humans substituted God's authority for our own authority, sin enters the world and so does death, right? Humans begin to kill and lie and cheat and not treat God as holy God that he is. And as a result, we now experience sin, and decay, and death. But this was not the end, which is what John is saying. Just like God, through Jesus, spoke creation into being at the foundation of the world, God now, at the incarnation, is speaking recreation into being by the incarnation of Jesus. He is speaking creation again. And on earth, Jesus is all that God wants to communicate to us. So, that raises the second question, what does God want to communicate with us? What is the wisdom that he wants us to know? What do Christians believe is wisdom? Well, verses 9 through 13 give us a picture that all of the Gospel of John will add color to. It says this in verse 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
So this is the wisdom that Jesus, as God and out of love, creates for us. This is, this is the wisdom that he brings. The plan is that Jesus would come to earth, God as man, all-powerful, and yet is rejected. All throughout John, we're going to see Jesus speak things that are powerful and true about what it means to follow him and believe in him. He's going to teach what true wisdom is. That's what God dwelling with humanity will do. He will teach them directly and humbly. But ultimately, they'll reject him. But they and we will see that this was God's plan too. In God's wisdom and plan, he sent Jesus as God to earth so that he'd be killed. John will show us that through the crucifixion and death of Jesus, sin will be defeated. That all the imperfect actions and thoughts that we have all the ways we've hurt others, all the ways we've been hurt by others will be placed upon Jesus as he is tortured, rejected, and killed. But we will also see that Jesus is not defeated by death. That he, instead of dying on a cross and simply being buried for all time, will instead rise and on the third day he will be crowned as king of all things and savior of the world. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And it says here that if you, if you and I simply receive it, if we believe in his name, then we will become children of God. Simply, if we truly believe that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did, then we will become children of God and therefore eternally secure in his kingdom. And for those of us who believe that, it means that our earthly race, all that we're trying to accomplish is finished. Right? It means 2019 isn't marked by what we failed to accomplish, and it means 2020 won't be either. It means we are forgiven, truly forgiven, and therefore free to not be identified by what we've done wrong or what we've left undone. It means we're drowning in a sea of grace. And we show this by living lives of love towards one another, forgiving each other, feeding each other, praying for each other. And verse 13 says, you can't be born into it through blood. Right? Your parents might have been Christians, but you must be born of God, not, in just, not into just some Christian demographic. You must be born of God. And it goes on to say, you can't work your way into it. It's not born of flesh, meaning working toward it hard enough, doing enough good deeds that you might earn some sort of Salvation, it doesn't work that way. There's not enough good you can do to tip the scales of justice. So you can't be born into it. You can't work yourself into it. It's simply a gracious gift of God that we receive. That's how you become a child of God. Verse, verse, verse 16 uh, through the end says this, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
So grace and truth is the gift that we have received. It's there for you and me if we would take it. So what do we do with this information? Well, let me jump ahead for a moment. In verse 35, there is a narrative where Jesus calls the first disciples and they ask him, where do you live? Where are we being called to? And Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. And really, all of John and all of the Gospels and all of the Bible are asking that question of you. They're asking the question, would you come and see who Jesus is? Come and see who Jesus is. Come and see how the Old Testament scriptures breathe his name and prepare us for his arrival. Come and see how the gospel accounts show you the earth-shattering, world-saving, devil-crushing story of the God who became man, not to abuse power, but to humbly lay it down and die for the sake of those he loved. Come and see the letters of the early followers of Jesus who share and teach by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in them. Not in temples or in palaces, but in them, just like he dwells in me and many of you. And come and see that he will return again. In the book of Revelation, a book that gives us images of the time when Jesus will come back, there is a section in chapter 19 where a rider on a white horse comes as a king returning to his people and bringing justice And it says this in verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Come and see who King Jesus is. The King and Lord called the Word of God. His robe is stained with blood because he died for me and you. Stained in blood so ours can be clean. Come and see who he is. So quickly, let me address the believer in the room. If you are a believer in Jesus and a follower, this is simply an invitation this year to go deeper with Jesus. How do you do this? Read his word. Spend time with him. Be in his presence. Slow down. Be part of real community present at non-spectacular gatherings where real brothers and real sisters expect the Lord to show up. And I say this to you as much as I say it to myself. I need to slow down and be present with the God of the universe by being in his word. A simple first step that all who believe will take together this morning is that we will come to a new table We will come broken, tired, and anxious, or rested, excited, and ready for a new year. But ultimately, we'll come to remind ourselves that Jesus is the king who gave his body and blood so that we could call ourselves forgiven children of God and remind each other of the light that overcame the darkness. If you are with us and you're not a believer this morning, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to be around us to jump into a parish gathering and experience Christian community, ask tough questions. And members, be okay with answering, I don't know. This book is filled with mystery, but it's also filled with truth. Consider the possibility that it's not just chance that you're here this morning. 
consider the possibility that something could be calling you to come and see. In fact, I'll ask you, come and see. Come and see seriously if this Jesus is who he said he is. Come and see if he's the light that shines in the darkness like this book says he is. Come and see if there's a light that illuminates a broken world, a light that allows us to see and understand why our world is so broken, why utopia hasn't been found, why we need a savior. Ideas are powerful, but they're not powerful unless we act on them. But don't worry, God doesn't need you to perform He doesn't need you to be born into the right family. He doesn't need you to work hard enough to receive his grace. He just needs you to come and see and believe. So if you're interested in seeing what it's all about, or you're just interested in meeting some new people, we want to welcome you and invite you in. You don't have to clean yourself up to be around us. Because God knows that we didn't clean ourselves up when we were invited into his family but he's doing the work of cleaning us by the bloodshed of his son. We are a messy people here, but we're cleaned by a savior. So let's remember that in the 20s, the roaring 20s. This could be the decade where everything changes for you. But for now, simply come and see. Let's pray. Father, help us to grasp on to the invitation to to know you more in a new year. Help us to kneel at your throne and confess that we've tried for year after year after year to be better, to do better, and we've failed. But in that confession, Lord, will we be filled with with hope that overflows out of us, not because we've finally achieved something in a new year, but because we realize for the first time or maybe the hundredth time that you have achieved all of it for us and by your spirit, you will do so in us. Lord, we confess that we're imperfect, but we also invite you to perfect us more in 2020, knowing that there's a full and final resurrection for us to come. Will we die to our old selves and raise in our new selves? Would we acknowledge you as Lord of our lives and Savior of our lives in 2020? Would we dwell in your word? Would we slow down? Would we be present with you and with each other? Would you calm anxiety? you help the, the busy schedules fade away and will we be present with community, not going to expect that we would get something spectacular out of it, but simply going to expect that we would dwell with brothers and sisters in unity and let the Spirit work among us. And then I think we would experience something profound, Lord. Contentment. Not an endorphin release in a moment's notice, but contentment peace, love, joy, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, Lord, we invite it. I say you would bless us. We bless your name. We thank you for all things. Amen.